Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain... Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cuckoo writers and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. I'm delighted to welcome Gerd Loyal to the podcast today. Gerd is a food writer, future food consultant, and Olive Magazine's regular trends columnist. He also curates the online platform Mother Tongue, celebrating food stories of migration and race, and is currently writing his first cookbook exploring second-generation British Indian identity through food. Um, And this actually won the Jane Grigson Award in 2021. Hi, Gerd. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, Yeah, really good, thanks. Thanks for coming to talk to us today. Um, Obviously, you're a regular columnist in Olive Magazine where you talk about various um, foods, new ingredients that are bubbling under, and then you give us a really fantastic recipe to go with it. So today I've got you with your future food consultant head on, um, (laughs) and we're going to talk about your (laughs) top 10 trends for 2022. So for people who don't know about it, can you explain briefly what sort of consultancy work you do with trends in future food? Sure. So I um, a lot of work that I do work is working with uh, brands, retailers, restaurants, hotel chains. And really what I'm trying to do is get them to understand where people's heads are at and where their attitudes are at in terms of food and really also help them to understand how that's kind of shifting. So it's about thinking about what's happening in culture, what's happening in um, the economy, what's happening in terms of the demographics of society 
and really matching that up with what they might see on things like Instagram and TikTok and trying to get them to distinguish between what's a trend and what's just sort of a current fad. And then really creating products, menus, um, they could be kind of... um, food experiences. It could be any of this sort of stuff. But really what I help them to do is to kind of navigate that whole world um, and then create things that people then consume and that are hopefully delicious at the end of it. Amazing. So you would have, you, you've already been doing work on this, I guess, because, you know, we're, we're sort of, um, <laughs> yeah, Jan- yeah you've, your head's, your head's in this game completely. And, and you <laughs> I, sent, yeah. yeah, you sent me a list of, um, of 10 things you think are, you know, there's the, the good, the bad and the slightly crazy, um, yes. but we're going <laughs> to, we're going to talk through them. Um, loads of really interesting ideas. Some I've kind of like heard bubbling around some completely new to me, some a bit bonkers as well, but I'm um, really interesting stuff to talk about. Um, so let's kick off with your first one, which is hybrid fruits. Talk to us about that. Sure. So these are interesting combinations of fruits and actually vegetables as well, which are oh, yeah purposefully bred to be hybrids. So it's basically taking the best bits of two things, and I'll give you some examples in a minute, and purposefully breeding them so that you create this sort of delicious thing that has, you know, it might have the sourness of one thing and the sweetness of another thing. So I'll give you a few examples that I think are completely delicious. There are pluots, which are a cross between a plum and an apricot, um, where the plum is the dominant flavour. Um, there's something called an aprium, which is an apricot and a plum also, but the apricot is dominant. Um, there are things that you might have heard of, things like tayberries, which are a cross between a raspberry and a blackberry. Um, one of my favourites, which is something I tried in San Francisco, is a cherryum. A cherryum is a cross between a cherry and a plum. It's absolutely delicious. Um, another one is um, more in the vegetable territory, which is something called rabbage, uh, which is a cross between radish and cabbage. Um, and the other one, which I think is getting, which I've seen quite a bit of recently, is something called a papal, which is uh, a pear that's disguised as an apple. Um, disguised as an apple. Disguised as an apple. They sort of, they sort of <laughs> look, like, they look like an apple. It's really so they're quite, it's quite big over in California, particularly Portland oh. Farmers Market. Um, is full of these sorts of things, and I think it's something we're starting to see a lot more of here. And actually, even in in the citrus fruit territory as well, um, there's something like a tangelo, which is a cross between a tangerine and a pomelo. So it's really taking the kind of, the interesting thing about one fruit and purposefully hybriding it with the other and um, creating something that is, you know, is both familiar, but also really different because you kind of get that combination in one fruit, but in a sort of sensory way of another. So um, yeah, they're really fun. And actually, if you can find them, certainly in lots of farmers markets and things, you can certainly find things like pluots in Borough Market. Um, yeah, look out so for do you, those. At, at the minute, are we looking at, um, it's kind of more in, in the farmers market, maybe um, speciality supermarket range rather than down into our, our general supermarkets? Yeah, I'd say to buy to have them fresh. But I think what's quite interesting is that there are quite a few brands that are doing, making sort of things like jams and chutneys with this sort of stuff online. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd look out for them, particularly in farmers markets for the moment. But I think it won't be long, particularly in the more premium supermarkets before you start seeing some of these things. Yeah, love it. Something really new as well. Um, your second one, I love this, is... Um, Last year or the year before was all about the cronut. Now we're moving on to scones and boscots. Sorry, scones and bostocks. Now scones, I know all about. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> Who um, doesn't have a scone? Um, so we can talk about that. But what what the heck is a bostock? A bostock. So a bostock is um, 
It's a very thick slab of brioche toast, mm. which is then covered in some sort of a frangipan or a jam. It's generally a frangipan. Um, and then that's covered in toasted nuts or coconut or something sort of crunchy and then baked. And they are really decadent and really very delicious. They're quite... Um, it's it's one of those things where all of the elements are sort of sensorially quite interesting and rich, but when they combined, it actually creates something even more kind of exciting. Um, and actually the great thing about them is that they have a great way of using up things like brioche loaves. So, um, and they also, you know, they allow you to be really creative with what you do because frangipan, you can use all sorts of different nuts, but they really lend themselves to doing all sorts of things with different fruits, whatever is seasonal. You can do chocolate versions. You could do, I've seen versions which use things like um, pistachio frangipan instead of almond. Um, a couple of places I think are quite interesting. There's a bakery up in Scotland called the Bostock Bakery, which is uh, up in East Linton. Um, there's also a bakery in London, which is called the Brick House Bakery in Dulwich. Um, and they do a frangipan Bostock, which has a delicious layer of blackcurrant jam in the middle. And they are really, really delicious, sort of tart, buttery, um, nutty. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's sort of like a cross between a Bakewell tart and a sort of really pillowy piece of sort of fluffy toast. Mm, um, yeah. That's kind of, uh, yeah, what so they like. The, just um, to be precise, the frangipan bit is, frangipan is a ground, usually almond, a ground almond yeah. <clears throat> mixed with butter and sugar. Indeed, um, yeah. and, and exactly as you said, it it, it it makes that lovely almondy layer in, in, sure. a, um, yeah. in a Bakewell tart. But that that's really nice and, and a kind of really nice way of changing stuff up as well and using stuff up and a really great um kind of instant pudding as well if you don't want yeah, to mess absolutely. around with making loads of different stuff and you can be way ahead of the trend what about the um what about the scones what are they doing the, with scones out yeah, there the scones is really it's really interesting i mean i think you know i think people have almost sort of there's so many things that sort of come and go in bakeries that there's a real return to things that are classic and doing really exciting things with them um Things that I found really interesting in the scone world <laughs> that I've noticed are um, there is, um, I mean, Gales, which you know, the the bakery that's all around the country, they do really interesting maple maple uh, sorry maple pecan uh, scones. They do savoury cheese and chive scones. There's a, a place in London called Frenchie in Covent Garden, which is doing bacon scones. Um, and some of the stuff that I saw when I was over in Portland not long ago were things like uh, pickled chili and cheddar scones, um, apple pie scones, and then things like fig blue cheese and rosemary scones so it's really one of those things that i think it's it's such a classic loved thing and i think people are realizing that actually instead of trying to reinvent the cronut or something whatever it might be actually there's a real way of just returning to them that's really classic and doing like really incredible things with it the, the actually the other one that's interesting around this is the return of the chelsea bun which i've noticed <laughs> over the last sort of over the last few months in particular there's a there's a great bakery um in oxford called the orange bakery which is run uh by someone called kitty tate um with her father al tate and they are bringing out a book this year and they are going to do big things with chelsea buns I'm quite nice. excited to see that this year <laughs> yeah it's kind of yeah because this we the cinnamon bun was huge wasn't it yeah and then yeah. we were like you know what we kind of had our own thing which was <laughs> exactly, the chelsea bun exactly. let's just go back and investigate <laughs> no, that. Exactly, exactly we already did the swirl thing we don't need to go and look at <laughs> exactly. the scandinavians yeah. to show us yeah. the way like we've got exactly. it already exactly. yeah i love that as well and i I'm, I'm a big fan of a cheese scone um so i love the fact that they're using that kind of 
you know, that classic recipe and just to, you mentioned there that you've, you know, you mentioned Portland, you've mentioned California. Do you get yeah. a lot of your inspiration from, from that? And I you do. do travel a lot in, in sort of yeah, pursuit I of do. that. Yeah, I do. I mean, there are, there are, I suppose, there are a few places around the world, which um, in particular, I think are really driving sort of food trends. Um, Portland, San Francisco and LA are sort of the obvious ones, but then less obvious ones, you know, places like Amsterdam is really progressive from a food perspective, Paris in particular, Singapore, and, you know, all of those countries um, over in Asia, places like Seoul, Tokyo. Um, but then unexpected places, sort of cities like um, cities like Madrid, for example, which is sort of unexpected. There, there are lots of sort of food hubs around the world. Yeah. Uh, and I think, and certainly in previous roles, I was, I've been lucky enough to see quite a lot of travel. Um but I mean, at the moment, you know, at the moment with the world as it is, you can travel through Instagram. So a lot of things that I, I sort of tend to follow and people I follow are sort of, you know, sort of the, the interesting independent stores in a lot of these cities, because I think they, 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 they stock lots of interesting local brands. And mm. actually, by seeing the sort of stuff that they stock, you kind of get a sense of what they think is interesting in food. And ultimately, yeah. a trend is about what people find interesting in food. Exactly. Talking about global things, um, yes. your, ne your next one is yeah. actually um, one of my favourites, again, hot sauces. So we're talking about the new global hot sauces. Um, we, sriracha and gochujang have been huge in the past yeah, couple of absolutely. years. We've seen them everywhere and in lots of different recipes. I know we've got, I think we've got collections online with, <clears throat> with both those sauces. What other new sauces should we be looking out for? Um, so ones that I absolutely love um, to look out for is are... Firstly, shito. So shito is a Ghanaian chili oil, uh, which is made with dry shrimp um, or dried fish. Um, and there's a, there's a brand in particular that I love called Mums and Spice, um, which you can buy online. Um, they sell it in Ridley Road Market in Dalston, around the corner from where I live. Um, and it's just got a real sort of savoury depth to it. The sort of the dried fish and the dried shrimp really bring that kind of umami depth to it. But it's also got a real... Um, a real chilli kick. And what's great about all these things is that they have that element of fermentation to them. And through the fermentation, it just brings in even more layers and depths of flavour. I, I just love, I love using shito. I sort of turn it into drizzles. Um, I kind of turn it into a glaze to put on things like chicken wings and on fish. Um, it really has a kind of, a, you know, quite a funky taste, but I think it's something that people are now just much more interested in and excited about eating and are exploring as well as a kind of flavour profile. Um, so yeah, other things that I think are really interesting. I mean, um, sambals, which are, you know, nice. sort of the sort of the chutneys and the chilli oils and the sort of condiments from Indonesia, Malaysia and Singapore. There were some really big books in the last couple of years, um, Lara Lee's Coconut and Sambal, all yeah. about Indonesian food. And then the brilliant book that just came out by Mandy Yin, which is the Sambal Shiok book. Um, yeah, and I think great. It's just, I've got that. It's yes, yeah, the <laughs> photography is beautiful. I want to cook and eat everything in it. Yeah, um, yeah. It's. I think you know they're just uh, the way that sam sambals are. You know, a, a part of food culture in that sort of Southeast mm. Asian part of the world. It's you know, they sort of go on and in and as a part of everything. And um, I think what's really exciting, particularly with those two books, is that they show you the breadth of of sambals that are kind of out there. You can yeah. do something as simple as you know, just sort of some lemon juice, some chilli, some oil and some garlic, all the way through to something that's got, you know, 50 different spices in it and has yeah. just you know, many layers of complexity. But um, it's I think it's a whole world, Sambals. And what I, again, talking about the whole fermentation thing is that when you do then ferment those, they bring in 
that extra level of um, savouriness, deliciousness, and just sort of, <laughs> it kind of amplifies everything else that you eat by bringing in that fermented element, which is what I find really exciting, I guess. In really good, yeah, yeah. Um, um, you've also got um, a couple of ones I've never heard of, yes. uh, which is Ayurveda. Ayurveda, yeah. There's a couple here, yeah. So there's Ayurveda, which is a, a creamy Peruvian green hot sauce. So, oh, nice. Um, it's got sort of lime, coriander, chili, and then it always has a sort of, some sort of a creamy element through it, um, which could be yogurt, it could be cream. Um and there's a Japanese one which is called uh, Naname, which I've recently discovered and haven't cooked with before until very recently, which cool. is a Japanese paste that has chilies, yuzu, sesame, sake, ginger, and black pepper. And it's it's wow. just an explosion of flavour. It's it's you I, I could kind of eat it on its own. It's that delicious. That sounds um, can can you buy that or is that something you can that buy you that? Make? Yeah, you, you can buy that in you, you can do both. I mean, you can buy it in these sort of small tubes um mm. in uh, Japanese supermarkets. They have it in the Japan Centre, I know, for sure. Mm. Um, it sort of comes in those tubes that you would get wasabi in. Yeah. Uh, it kind of comes a little bit like that, almost like a sort of toothpaste tube. Um, uh, and another one just to mention, because I absolutely love cooking it and cooking with it and making it, is the is Zug, um, oh, yeah. which is sort of a Yemeni hot sauce. I know that um, that's now really widely available. Lots of supermarkets mm. have their own versions. But again, it's just something I think is... It's great, it's, isn't it? It's really fresh, delicious, and, you know, adds yeah. that real punch of flavour. Lovely. Loads of stuff there then. Um, okay, so on to number four, um, single origin flights, whether it's yes. chocolate, wine, cheese, or beer. Tell us about that. Yes. So this is a really <laughs> interesting one. And again, it's one that, I, that is um, really big in places like California. I'll talk you through some of my favourite examples. But I think particularly with lockdown um people are sort of trying to get that depth of experience from food that you might get in a restaurant but not necessarily being able to do it and I thought for me what was really interesting around the pivots that happened with lockdown were the brands that were sort of sending little sort of taster packs of you know four or five of the products that they have and almost giving you that kind of flight experience that you might have in a restaurant or in a wine bar I guess you know wine flights are what people are most familiar with is you know where you go and you try something that's you know it might be a, a different vineyard or it might be a different year but trying different varieties of the same thing and I think what's really interesting that, that there are other restaurants and brands that are now doing that but with other products so taking that idea of the wine flight um some of the ones that are quite fun that I really like are there is a restaurant in Palm Springs called Cheekies um were famous for their brunch and they do a flight of bacon so yeah it's really fun so you go in and you can order a flight of bacon so they sort of have five different bacons on the plate um one is sort of an applewood smoked one what one, one might be from a sort of specific farm um they do a jalapeno one they sort of do it's a really interesting way of trying different types of bacon um but yeah i love the idea of a bacon flight um Another one that I really love is um, there is a chocolate brand called Dandelion, which you may have heard of. Um, and what Dandelion do is they do a chocolate brownie flight, um, which I think is re it's really interesting. I've actually done it before. And what they do is they have all the different origins of their chocolate. So they have sort of a Guatemalan chocolate, a Mexican chocolate, a, an Indian chocolate, for example. Um, and what they do is they make the exact same brownie recipe, but using the different chocolates. And it's a really interesting way, I think, of really, I guess, just learning about the complexity and the nuances of different origins of something like cacao beans, for example, uh, in this case. But instead of doing it with, you know, just trying the chocolate, 
by doing it through something like a brownie, it just adds an extra level of kind of fun and gives you a sort of a different, a different angle to the whole thing. Stick around to hear more from Gerd on the hottest food trends for 2022. Let's move on to um, number five, which is fusion cuisines. I mean, I've heard of, I have heard of Nick, is it Nikai or Nikki? Yeah, Nikai. Because Nikai. we've yeah. actually got in the January issue, um, Lewis Harras done some um, some amazing Nikai recipes for us. But what what else have we got? And and that is a, I believe it's, is it Japanese, Peruvian? Uh, it is. So, Japanese, so, South American? That is a sort of, it's a heritage fusion, I guess, of yeah. Japanese with either Peruvian, Brazilian, yeah. or Hawaiian traditionally. Yeah. And and I think what's interesting is that, I mean, fusion's an interesting word because it can be slightly polarizing in the food world. I think some people find it, um, when you kind of get sort of these sort of big sort of mission star chefs who are just fusing two things together just to kind of create some sort of a fad or something on a plate that makes them look clever, I think it can be sort of seen through and people are sort of, and, and not necessarily that comfortable with it. But what's interesting is that there are a lot of heritage cuisines around the world where fusion has just been a natural part of the way that people have moved. And, you know, the the, the migration of people, for whatever reason, it might have been for, you know, because they chose to move or, there, you know, there are sort of um, histories of colonialism that have, have created movements of people. But actually, the cuisines that have been made are really interesting. And, you know, Nikkei is a really interesting one because that was a result of Japanese people um, moving to, to South America. Other ones which are really interesting are Cape Malay cuisine, which is a really interesting cuisine, which is actually um, a fusion of Indonesian Malaysian cuisines with South African cuisine. Uh, so the Cape in that actually stands for Cape Town, and, and Malay actually stands for Indonesian and Malaysian. So it's the mix of sort of um, really interesting sort of uh, South African approach to cooking, but with this kind of Indonesian and Malaysian influence into it as well. Um, and again, that's sort of a, a sort of remnant of um, of slaves from Indonesia who historically were sort of transported to South Africa, have settled there, have then created their own incredible communities there, but then also created this incredible cuisine with it. Um, and another one that I think is really interesting is um, is Indo-Chinese cuisine, which is uh, the fusion of Indian and Chinese cuisines, which uh, uh, it actually originates in Calcutta, um, where because there were a lot of people from the Hakka regions of China moved uh, over to Calcutta uh, sort of about 100, 200 years ago. Um, and created this delicious cuisine, which is a combination of both Indian flavours with Chinese. So, so you sort of get like really interesting sort of garam masala noodles and you get things like, um, you kind of get like delicious chilli paneer that has um, soy sauce and kind of miso through it. So a real interesting kind of mix there. And actually there's a great restaurant that's just opened up in London called Fat Pundit, yeah. um, which is an Indo-Chinese restaurant. So Fantastic. yeah. Number six is a hot topic um, because there's a lot of debate around yes. eating meat, not eating meat, going vegan, going part yes, vegan. Um, absolutely. And it's um, sustainability through rewilding. Explain yeah. to us what rewilding is. So this is, uh, yeah, and this one, I'm not necessarily going to put this out as a trend. You're absolutely right. This is the hot topic of the year. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not saying that this is um, necessarily a trend, but it's certainly going to be something you're going to be reading and yeah. seeing a lot more about. Um, I guess there's a, the overarching question here is really, um, the focus, rightly so, over the last few years has very much been around um, shifting your diet to being much more sustainable through being much more plant-based in what you're eating. And, you know, there are incredible books like 
um, the Anna Jones book, One Plan Planet, which you know really championed that message. I guess the topic has now sort of evolved into the question of whether there is a way of eating meat sustainably. And actually, even more, I guess, positively, is there a way of eating meat and dairy also, but making a positive contribution once you do it? And this is, I suppose, where this whole question around things like regenerative agriculture and rewilding come in. Um, I don't understand it fully, but this is my this is my my understanding of, of, of it, is that the whole idea really is around the fact that um, in the natural order of nature, um, the soil is actually the most effective way of absorbing carbon from the atmosphere. So if you were to sort of try to restore the natural order of the world with animals in it, because actually animals are also a very big part of the nutrient, water and carbon cycles. And actually this whole idea is around restoring the natural balance with animals as part of it um, to therefore restore the soil and absorb more carbon, if that makes sense. So instead of instead of removing animals from the equation altogether, you're saying, well, actually, animals can be a positive part of absorbing more um, carbon through through the soil. So it's a really interesting one. It's, it's kind of a hot debate. Um, I think there are some really interesting articles. There's a writer called Claire Finney, who's a brilliant uh, writer, who's written quite a bit about this topic. But then there are equally, there are other restaurants who, uh, there are places like Blacklock and Fallow who are... I suppose not going down the whole extreme of you know saying we're going to be positively adding to the environment, positively contributing to the environment, but sort of saying if we're going to eat less meat, eat better meat, um, and they're really championing this whole kind of I suppose you know animal butchery and using the whole nose to tail um, and moving towards things like carbon neutrality as well. And there's a butcher's um, in Cornwall called Philip Warren who is a it's a really interesting um, in terms of the way that they're putting their messages out there. They absolutely advocating for the benefits of grass-fed cattle but actually interestingly their message is that they are really pleased that vegans have made everyone understand where their food comes from and want to understand where their food comes from so it's this really interesting thing as I think that in the to date the conversation has very much been the meat industry versus vegans and now you've got butchers like Philip Warren actively praising vegans and you've got people like um as I said, um, Blacklock and Fallow, who are sort of extending this message to be, I guess, just a much more holistic message that doesn't do a kind of a good versus bad, but takes the whole ecosystem into play. Yeah, I think that's a great shout as well. You know, for to move forward, we need to be able to debate and talk about it and see both sides of the argument and, and hopefully come up with the best solution for everyone and for the planet as well. But, you know, keeping the keeping lines of communication open is probably one of the most important things, I guess. Um, okay, so then on to a, a, a slightly lighter, and it's, it's January, so quite a lot of people, me included, will be doing dry January. Um, and we're talking about the drinks of 2022, and a lot of these are actually great um, sort of gut health drinks and tonics. What, what have we got there? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, things like kefir and kombucha are now, I think, sort of a part, almost sort of staples in sort of people's lives have become a real uh, a real part of what people have. And I think people are much more in tune with the fact that, you know, have your, 
your gut and your mind are so directly linked and people are much more in tune with your whole immune system as well is, you know, really linked to what your gut health is. So there's kind of the next generation of those drinks. Um, the first ones uh, are switchels. Um, so switchels are a mix of water, ginger, cider vinegar, and then usually some sort of a sweetener. Um, they're quite punchy. I guess they're a bit like a, a bit like a kombucha, but a little bit punchier. Um, there's a brand called Mother Root, uh, which I really like, that do a great one, which has a touch of chilli in it. Um, another drink which is really interesting um, is something called Jammu. So have you have you had a Jammu before? No, this no. is the one I hadn't heard of. No. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's, so again, this is a kind of Balinese Indonesian herbal drink. Ah, it's okay. kind of a tonic um, that mixes turmeric, ginger, lemon, and then lots of botanicals. Um, if you go to Bali, you can buy it in these sort of really sort of interesting medicinal looking bottles uh, on the street. And everyone kind of has a bottle or a, or a glass of jammer in the morning just as part and parcel of your everyday life. Um, but they're really interesting. They, you know, they have that kind of um, that kind of restorative balance with all the botanicals and things in there and, and obviously the turmeric. Um, there are lots of recipes for jammer online. Um, I would definitely recommend using fresh turmeric root if you do that because it has much more sort of flavour, much more of a gingeriness. Um, I personally find powdered turmeric, it just reminds me of what you're given when you're Indian, when you're ill, which is holy, which is this like sort of, it reminds, it reminds me of being at primary school and being forced to down spoonfuls of this stuff. But um, fresh turmeric, I'm a big fan of. Um, the next one is something called tapache. Um, and tapache is a fermented pineapple drink that's made with, uh, it's made with the, the rind and the peel. Um, and again, you know, it has that real sort of, uh, you know, it's quite um, like it's quite a s strong flavour. Um, it's it's um, but it has that kind of tropically pineappleiness through it. Um, there's a brand called Remedy, which do a, a delicious one in a can, and there's a restaurant called uh, Brat in London, uh, which uh, was which is sort of doing lots of interesting takes on tapache. Um, That's a great last... one for kind of making it like waste no waste absolutely. as well isn't it because it's using all the bits of the pi the, the right. bits of the pineapple you normally chuck away which is yeah, great absolutely. let's move on to number eight um this is quite an unusual one good interactive food but with a competitive edge talk yes. us through this um so this i mean this one is all about disregarding all of the etiquette you were ever told growing up and it's about playing with your food purposefully playing with your food um it's really interesting this really comes from the sort of runaway phenomenon of 2021 which was squid games which i think a lot of people saw and there was that dalgona honeycomb game um where everyone was cutting out the sort of the, the honeycomb shapes um and making the dalgona honeycomb candy it really sort of took off it was kind of a phenomenon all over tiktok and all over um, Instagram. But actually, I think it was really interesting because it was timed with um, questions of whether we were going back into a lockdown, a lot of Europe was going back into lockdowns. And I think people are sort of, I guess, navigating a world where going out to restaurants as your entertainment, if that's, you know, if you are a foodie, if that's what you did, is not always going to be guaranteed as something that you can do or necessarily feel safe doing. And so there's this kind of return to these kind of I guess food parlor games almost, where you're kind of 
playing with food almost, you know, whether it's this kind of fun honeycomb game, um, even things like the kind of the, the the classic jelly bean bamboozled games. There are sort of things like sort of those um, chili chocolate roulette games. Yeah. I guess it's just kind of bringing a bit of fun, bit of fun to, into it. Yeah. To, 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 to having, uh, to basically eating at home. And I think yeah. for me, that was what was interesting about um, the honeycomb game. I think the reason that it really took off was because it was quite a fun thing that you could do at home, but that you yeah. could eat. Um, yeah. And I think there's going to be quite a lot more of that kind of coming into yeah, this year. Definitely. So hopefully we'll, we won't be trapped in our dining rooms for much <laughs> longer. Um, number nine's great. I, I've, it's, it's about sour fruits as um, yeah. pantry staples. I, I've had um, Monica Gawarden on the podcast um, and we talked about kokum and tamarind, which are two of her yes. favorite yeah, sour, sour ingredients. Yeah. Um, talk to us about some of the other souring ingredients. People are much more now in tune with this whole idea of acidity and sourness being a real key to, I, th- I think it's for years it's been a chef's secret that the two things that make restaurant food taste so great are butter and acid, basically. But then that incredible book um, that Samin Nostrat brought out, um, Salt for Acid Heat. And then there's actually another great book that I can recommend called Sour by Mark Diacona, which really celebrated sourness. Um, but basically, I think, you know, it's bringing in sourness to your cooking elevates the flavours of everything. And I think traditionally people have felt that, well, lemon and lime or orange juice are the only sourness that you can bring in or vinegar. But actually, there are all these incredible tropical fruits that you can use. So things like tamarind, things like kokum. There's something called amchor, which I use a lot, which is dried uh, mango powder. Um, And you can use things like dried green mango pastes. Um, And then there's a fruit, there's a Southeast Asian fruit called soursop, um, which is a really interesting fruit that has a delicious acidity to it. And actually, it's just a really interesting thing to start thinking about when you're cooking. Instead of just relying on lemon, lime and vinegars, actually adding a bit of tamarind or a spoonful of soursop or a spoonful of green mango paste. Um, not, it can not only add kind of a tenderizing element to things like meats, um, but also just gives you that kind of uh, sharp punch and that it does everything that citrus does, but actually brings in a whole nother dimension of flavour. Um, okay, we've saved the best to last. We have. <laughs> you say the best. Oh, I'm not sure what your view is on I this know. one. Oh, all right, we've saved the bonkers to last. Sure, the bonkers. Um, I'm going to just say it is um, crystal and frequency, sorry, crystal and frequency infused manifestation foods. Yes. Okay, go. There's a lot to unpick there. There's a lot to unpick there. So, I mean, overall, there is, it's undeniable if you kind of uh, look at restaurant menus or you go into mm. sort of health food shops that the new new wave foods yeah. Things like CBD, things like uh, mushroom powders, things like, you know, all this sort of health food arena and the new wave of it is, it's really resonated with people. And um, crystals is really a part of this kind of new wave health thing. So the idea behind crystals, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this as someone that necessarily does this or necessarily believes in it, but the idea behind it is that crystals are infused with, I guess, certain energies um, of the world. And really, this is all about kind of channeling different energies. And so there are lots of brands and things that are really utilizing 
those so-called energies of crystals and then infusing them into foods, infusing them into waters. Um, there's a brand called uh, Koiko, which does these sort of crystal water bottles where you fill it with water and then the energy of the crystal infuses the water with that energy and you can actually change the crystal depending on how you're feeling that day. Um Going on from that, there's also ice creams, which are therefore infused with crystals. And I think what they do with those is that they, when they're making the ice cream, I think that there are just crystals that are sort of in the mix um, as the cream is kind of being boiled, infusing the energy of the crystals into that. Going on from that then, the sort of slightly more bonkers stuff is um, the frequencies. So as well as crystals having energies, there is a view that certain sound frequencies also have certain energies and certain emotions like love, for example, has a frequency. So there is this thing called the love frequency. Um, I don't know what it is, but <laughs> it exists uh, as something. Um, and there's actually an interesting brand, um, slightly bonkers brand in Australia called Frequency H2O. And they sell water, which is infused with the love frequency but they also sell water infused with the frequency of rainbows. And they also sell water that's infused with the frequency of the moon. The moon. I've not tried it. <laughs> I don't know how expensive it is, but it's big in Australia. Oh, I'm going, I'm going to go away and find, find that. It reminds, do you remember that movie? I think it was, was it like Water for Chocolate where she, the woman who's, um, she, she makes this, she makes this meal and um, she's cooking this meal for a big group of people and she's really distraught and she kind of puts all of her emotion yeah, into yeah, the... Yeah. And then they all sit around the table and they, everyone yeah. starts crying because she's kind no, of absolutely. transferred her... <laughs> so that's what we're talking no, about, basically. No, we are. <laughs> but this, I mean, it's interesting you say that because ultimately that's what this is about. People always say that you can always tell when food has been cooked with love. Absolutely, um, yeah. And you can, you really can. And really, this is almost taking that to the next level, but it's bottling it up and letting you buy that love which I'm not sure what I think about but um, I think it might you know it it sounds bonkers but it might just be the thing that we need for 2022 yeah, to get us out of just this a bit of bottled yeah. up love absolutely yeah. who doesn't need yeah. that <laughs> oh well thank you so much for coming today to chat to us no. about all that good um thank you for having you can, me it's been fun and you you can look out for Gerd's column every month in Olive magazine and if people want to stay in touch with you um, online for Mother Tongue or just yeah. for your own stuff? Where, where can they find you? Yeah, sure. So you can find me on Instagram. I am at gerd underscore loyal. Uh, and then Mother Tongue is mothertongue.tv.com. Thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com. Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>